Having built a reputation as the executive chef for the largest luxury hotel in Texas, Andre Natera is a renowned expert in both the food and hospitality industry. Every week, Andre is going to invite the restaurant industry's biggest innovators, entrepreneurs, and experts at running the pass into his kitchen. Heat up the oil, set out the sauces, it's time to run the pass. My guest today is Alan Delgado. He is now the Director of Research and Development at Via Halcon Hospitality in New York. He and I met back in El Paso, Texas, uh, doing a pop-up charity event dinner uh, with some other great El Paso chefs. We both worked in the city of Austin. He's worked at some of the best restaurants in the city from Sway to Laundrette to Carpenter's Hall, and most recently at Comedor, which was one of the best restaurants in the city. And in uh, 2019, was named Esquire's number one restaurant. So really excited to have Alan Delgado on the show today. Alan, how are you? Good. As good as can be. <laughs> as good as can be. Well, hopefully that's pretty good. The city takes it out of you, man. (laughs) So, yeah, actually, I want to jump right into that. So here you are, and I know you from Austin. Knowing the food scene here in Austin and knowing everything that you were doing, you were at Comedor, uh, which is uh, you know one of the one of the best restaurants in the city, um, and then here you go to New York. You're bringing your 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 passion. You're bringing your cuisine. What are some of the bigger differences right now that you see between the the food in New York versus the food in Austin? Ah, uh, it's definitely it's definitely more diverse here in New York, right? Because you can find whatever it is that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just Google that cuisine; it will pop up, and then you can eat whatever you want, basically. So. I would say that's the main difference from a guest perspective. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's, every big chef is here, you know, or like the old, the classic big chefs. And so what changed was just interviewing people and going through all that and, you know, seeing their resumes. And So specifically in the restaurants that you're working on, you're focused really on Mexican food and authentic flavors. And that's kind of been, you know, what, uh, what you've really built a great reputation on. But correct me if I'm wrong. One of the restaurants I see that you're doing, I see a lot of vegetarian food, a lot of vegan food. Is that correct? Yes, it's about 90% vegan. Uh, Which restaurant is this one? Because I know you're working on a couple. This one's Ilonen. Ilonen, okay. Uh, plant forward, yeah. Plant forward. Yeah. What does that mean? I mean, that's, uh, that's a little ambiguous. Mean anything, plant- right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a little more user-friendly than saying vegan right now. Um, plant forward. Yeah. Because, yeah, people, if you tell them it's vegan, people feel insulted sometimes. I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> uh, it's kind of weird. So, But if you say plant forward, then people are a little more uh, willing to try it than uh, if you just say vegan. That one was a concept that Justin... And his partner, Chris, wanted to open for a while now. He uh, went back to Arizona State University to do uh, to study sustainability. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he had a kid as well. He has another one on the way. And so he wants to uh, open restaurants like his mentor, John George, that he worked for like 15 years. And he wants to open a bunch of restaurants all over the world. And he wants to do it in the more uh, the most sustainable way possible, which is quite a challenge in this industry. And so... The first step was opening Zilonen and to see how you can get rid of plastic and uh, paper, all animal products and stuff like that, and uh, still make delicious food and have a softer footprint on the earth. And so mm. that's where Zilonen came about. So I got to figure that Mexican food lends itself well to that, right? I mean, such a such a diverse cuisine is Mexican food, right? Everyone just, you know, mm-hmm. you and I grew, kind of grew up in the same town a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, so... The Mexican food that I grew up with, 
you know, and, and then I expanded and, and uh, started really understanding what Mexican food was. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't know people did that, right? I just knew what I <laughs> ate in my town. But, you know, so many flavorful sauces, all the different molas, all the different things that you could do, you really expand, um, you know, people's horizons on the possibilities with Mexican yeah. food. So the, the scene over in New York, are they more accepting and open to that? Or is, are they, is, it, is it a gradual process to bring them along? I feel like it's the same everywhere and i'm also not very traditional when it comes to mexican cuisine mm-hmm. uh you know I, I grew up eating traditional mexican food um i ate a lot of traditional mexican food and you know most of the mexican restaurants that are out there are traditional and so for me it's important to step away from that and try to do something that's a little different right it's not completely out there but the base of the mexican cuisine is still there and so it's challenging. I was talking to someone in Mexico City and she was like, yeah, I think it's a challenge for us even in Mexico to try to find our, I think a lot of us don't know what our identity is as Mexicans either. And so it's difficult to pinpoint what Mexican cuisine is. And uh, it's such a big country as well, right? And so the food changes from Chihuahua or from Juarez or <laughs> right across from El Paso to Veracruz, you know, it's completely different. There's different ingredients, different climates. And so there's a lot of changes that happen there. And so, and then people travel to certain parts of Mexico and then that's their idea of Mexican cuisine, right? People go to Oaxaca and they think that the fruit from Oaxaca is what everyone eats in Mexico and it's not the case, right? It changes. And so they're accepting when it gets close to what they have experienced. Mm. And if it's not, sometimes there's pushback where they're like, this is not Mexican. And they're like, well, your experience is different than mine, right? <laughs> and you, you experience some of this and, you know, going to Juarez to eat. And then if you go somewhere else, there's, they do things different, right? Does that mean that the food in Juarez is in Mexican? No, it's just, it's regional. <laughs> yeah, I remember, and you know this from, you know, the, the border cities, when you order a bowl of menudo, you usually get it with a, a side of toasted bread. Yeah. And hominy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hominy. Yeah. So uh, when I moved to California and I ordered a bowl of menudo and they served to me with tortillas, I was like, what the hell is this? Where's my bread? What's wrong this with this? Mexican? <laughs> Why is there fresh cilantro? Where's the dry oregano? What's going on? Why am I not crumbling like this? Over? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, right. What's really popular right now is these uh, birria tacos, right? Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And uh, a funny story is years, years ago, uh, I was in California uh, with my father-in-law and he says, if I want birria, and I was like, yeah, I'll have a beer. Sure. And he's like, no, no, no. It's a, it's a, <laughs> but, but it's that El Paso sleigh. You want a birria? You know, be, uh, yeah, I'll have a birria. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a beer. Sure. <laughs> and then you got some fucking hot meat. Yeah. Something completely different. But yeah. Uh, to the point that uh, that people don't understand that depending on where you live, where you grew up, yeah. like, there, there's no right or wrong. It's very similar to like Italian cooking. It's it's a it's a it's a grandmother's cuisine, Mexican food, and it's it's the town that you lived in. It's the way your grandmother made it. It's the way your mom made it. Or and how much or, money you had too. It changes things as well. Right, right. And there's a lot of things that don't translate the same here. You know, like cooking and you know what we cook in is different uh, than than mm-hmm. the way it is over there. You know, even in my my grandfather's house used to have this, uh, this clay water jug and, you know, you pour it in a cup and then you drink the water and it tasted completely different. Yeah. I used to love those clay water jugs. So I went and bought one when I saw it, I was like, Oh, I, I missed this. And I said, oh God, it tastes terrible. Now that's not what I remember. Yeah. It's not nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was really bad. 
so yes, I completely get uh, you know some of the challenges that I, I'd imagine that you have in New York City. Which what is the Mexican scene like right now in New York City, or what has it been? I mean, I got here in May of last year, so dining out has not been uh, a regular thing so far <laughs> until just recently. But you have what you have Cosme, you have Atla. There's places like Glado as well that are doing non-traditional food. But I mean, there's Mexican restaurants in every corner. <laughs> it's the thing that people want. People want their, their margaritas. And so our restaurants open just for that. And so they're like Starbucks. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. When you moved to New York, you know, you got there right during the pandemic. I, I assume you got there getting ready to experience the cuisine, but then, you know, the shutdowns and whatnot. <laughs> Uh, I, I imagine you haven't gotten out to eat much and really explore the city. Not a whole lot. A lot of caviar and uh, delivery food, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same. Uh, by the time it gets to you, you know, there's not a lot of the same networking that would happen as if you were to go eat at a restaurant, sit at the bar. Mm -hmm. You see the chefs, they see you, there's a conversation, and then your network expands that way. Mm -hmm. uh, it changes to like just Instagram basically right now. Uh, yeah, but as places open up and you know you get vaccinated and people feel a little more comfortable, then you know we're starting to go out and have some dinners here and there, but not as much as I, I would like to do it. So, as you're writing these menus, how do you go about balancing these menus? You know, you talked about how you're doing a plant-forward menu. It's vegan, vegetarian. How do you how do you keep the meat, the seafood, etc., balanced for the customer, um, so that people are coming in, but also so that you have um, you know, that you have a little something for everyone and your restaurant remains open. So this goes with what Chef Justin has been learning in his uh, sustainability classes and uh, working with uh, Oceanic Global to produce a menu matrix. And I forget how they divide it, but it's like 50% vegan or vegetarian, 20% uh, 40 or four-legged animals, 15% seafood. It's like a whole thing that if you follow this menu or this matrix, your impact in the world is, is lessened, right? And mm. so as it is, I, I'm not sure you've experienced it. There's a lot of questions when people come and eat at the restaurant. It's like, do you have any vegan options or any vegetarian? So, you know, people are already starting to demand that. And so it seems like the easier route to just produce these dishes instead of <laughs> trying to figure out something on the fly and <laughs> go peel some carrots or go saute some mushrooms and which sauces are vegan. And <laughs> it was, we, ha we have beans. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the lettuce. And so, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's like anything. If the demand is there, you're going to create something, right, to fill that. And so... It's also, if it's going to generate you money, then why not, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. It makes it easier, one. It makes it a, a challenge for the team as well to create these, these menu items that are vegan. And, you know, they're not bad if, if, you, if you know what you're doing and if right. you test them out. It's like smoking, right? If someone tells you to quit smoking, <laughs> or like, you're not going to find that it's good for you. <laughs> yeah. And so for, for us, it makes sense to go that route, right? And so... It also ties in into like the sustainability of products as well, right? Especially during COVID, the consumption of to-go boxes has increased, right? <laughs> because it's how we're yeah. making money. And if you think of all the restaurants that are doing that, that's a lot of paper. That's a lot of plastic. And, you know, I'm sure once indoor dining opens up 100% everywhere in the state, that consumption will go down. But, you know, people will still want 
good to go, right? And yeah, the pandemic definitely taught us how to order through our phone, how to how to get what we want delivered, Man, how to have anything. someone drop it in our trunk. Yeah, whatever you want, put underneath the tree, and I'll come and get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's another challenge that we had to experience and uh, come together to overcome that, right? Yeah. But I think in the end, you know the how much waste we produce in this industry and how much we use really does have an impact on the earth. And so if we're able to find a way to sub out this, that paper, that plastic, all of that good stuff, then we will be in a better spot later on in the future, in like five, six years mm -hmm. from now. The, the problem is that no one's making these things. <laughs> right. It's all in its early stages, right? Like I've seen universities take food waste and turn that into to-go boxes mm. amazing i don't know how they do that right <laughs> or taking kelp and they turn that into uh containers as well you know you can you can buy recycled products uh -huh. or products made out of recycled paper but you're still kind of supporting that industry by buying those things right and so the only way to get rid of that is to stop buying that altogether. And I imagine that it's a it's a it's a culture shift from the employees that work in these restaurants, that uh, you know where you're practicing sustainability and and doing the right thing, that probably trickles a little bit into their personal lives as well. And you have a more holistic approach to well being, not just with the food, but probably also in their personal lives. I mean, do you guys do anything to promote wellness and and you know health and wellness in in the restaurants and the kitchens? I think we have more conversations about mental health and how to not overwork yourself uh, uh -huh. to, to try and create that balance. I think that for the longest time we, I mean, I, I enjoy working a lot. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's one of my yeah. favorite things, but when you kind of zoom out working six days, seven days a week, working doubles, it's, it's not sustainable for, for yourself or for the people around you, right? Because one, when you're exhausted, you're not as, as calm to react to things, right? This, your problem-solving skills are kind of foggy, and so you're not able to be the best version of yourself for your staff and for the business. And so I think that balancing that out and having, you know, teaching chefs the importance of, of taking care of themselves and the bigger impact that it has mm -hmm. in their lives, and, but also their, their fellow coworkers' lives is something that we need to, one, embrace and teach, right? I think a lot of us are that got into this industry we're also really hard-headed people <laughs> and yeah. sometimes we needed people to force us to do these things right and so you know exercising i'm not saying don't have these like don't drink or don't smoke don't do that I'm, all i'm saying is just find a way to balance it out not just for yourself but for the people that you're leading right because as a manager in the kitchen you're not just there for yourself you're there for a team of people that want to make good food and, you know, have some fun as after all, we all got into this because we enjoyed food, right? <laughs> we yep. didn't, we don't enjoy going into kitchens and be like, Oh man, I really want to work somewhere where I just get yelled at <laughs> like, and get treated like shit. Like we, we didn't get into this because of that, but somehow along the lines, that's what happened. Right. And yeah. so I think if we put a little more effort into the people managing restaurants that in the end, the environment and that will better. Hmm. 
And it's interesting because right now you have, you have a blend of people that have been in the industry that kind of came up in that rougher environment yeah. uh, that are probably at the tail end of their careers, but a lot of them are still running kitchens or they're still working in kitchens. And then you have this different group of people that they, they recognize that this isn't the most sustainable way to, to work in a kitchen. It's almost like uh, take care of your mental health, take care of your well-being, uh, eat right, sleep good. I'll be more productive for you at work if I get a full night's sleep versus three hours and I'm back the next day, right? But it's interesting because we are seeing this this cultural shift in, in kitchens right now. I think probably, pro- I, I'm seeing it more so now than I've ever seen it uh, oh, in sure. my career. Yeah, by a long shot, it's been improved, right? And so, and I think it's also us looking at ourselves and saying, or asking us, asking ourselves questions of, am I being the best version that I can, right? Whereas before, it was also kind of encouraged to be, be uh, a dick, I guess, in other words. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you talked a little bit about uh, resumes and the, and the different people uh, coming through the kitchens and, you know, you, you expected New York to be something different and then boom, you find out there's, there's bad cooks everywhere, everywhere in the apparently. world, everywhere in the world. The same, guy, <laughs> the same guy keeps showing up. He's everywhere. You can't shake him. Um, you know, but what are some of the things that you guys do there for the interview process or how are you guys screening resumes? How does someone get their foot in the door? What are you looking for? I started asking questions of, uh, you know, where they grew up and what challenges they faced in their young life. And uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, there's a moment of silence after that because it's not really questions that you get asked, right? Because, I don't know, we get asked the same questions every, everywhere you go, right? Like, what do you do for fun? Or like, what do you, tell me a little bit about this restaurant. It's like, oh, well, I, I opened the station and then I cooked and then I, like, it's the same answers. And so I feel like you don't really get to know the people that you're trying to bring on, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to change the, the culture of, of this industry and you know of yourself as well then you you need to get to know people right and to make sure that they're in the right headspace and so when people come in and they show me the resume I just I mean I give it back to them because it doesn't matter like when I was cooking I was a I was a shithead and I didn't listen to anything that people told me or asked uh, asked of me so you know if I apply that to someone else and so asking questions, not super personal questions, but pers- uh, questions that will allow you to get a little insight as to who they are and how they react to mm-hmm. uh, stressful situations. Well, I feel that have gotten me better quality people that then you can train how to cook, right? Because you can train someone how to peel a carrot and then pop it sure. in for an hour <laughs> and then make sure it's cooked, sure. right? So it's important to just put the right people with the right mentality in the right place. It's been a fun experience, but it's also shown me how great the cuisine in Austin is, you know, and how many amazing chefs are in that city as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it gets enough credit for how amazing it is. Yeah, Austin's really, it, it's really good food. Like, I, I don't know how to else to explain it. Like, the food in Austin is just it's just good. And everyone's doing their own thing. And so many chefs, you know, uh, you know, there's so many great restaurants like Comedor, Suerte, mm-hmm. Hestia, Emmer and Rye, and Franklin Barbecue to, you know, little food trucks. And I, I think the food, the food scene in, in Austin, I would say that the, the chefs that are doing their thing are, you know, they're, they're doing it really well. And the food that they, they, they produce and that comes out of their kitchens is delicious. And 
it's distinct. Yeah, I think we were just doing whatever they want to do, which is extremely fun <laughs> instead of trying to like copy somebody else, right? And so I think that's where just creativity flourishes. And so, yeah, yeah it, uh, it made me uh, nostalgic. It made me think of uh, Barley's Farm back in the day when it was yeah. on, uh, South Lamar, still one of my favorite restaurants. And uh, it's, uh, I think that's what made me fall in love with Austin, eating at Barley Swine back in the day. Did you ever eat there? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, tasting menu back in the day, and they, they closed the meal with these little caramels. I remember when I ate there, that was just, you know, I, like I took two. They, were, they took my <laughs> friends. Give me that. Um, yeah. So, how, you know, you're speaking about the, the creative process and the, you know, all the creative chefs that, that you've come across in your career. How do you get into the creative zone? What, what, what do you have to do to get in, to kind of get in that flow state to, to start getting creative and start writing menus? Oof, man, this, this year has been a tough one for, uh, for creativity. Honestly, I feel like I've hit so many, so many different walls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's been, uh, I don't know, opening a restaurant during COVID and then having to, to manage, labor when you're not really making any money is it it seems impossible and so I feel like your focus is somewhere else rather than creativity right it's it's Mm. it's more about survival than trying to make different food every day right and so I think I had like three solid months of just nothing coming out of my head it was just or I would have ideas and it, they would just be so bad. <laughs> I had my notebook of just page after page after page of, I would just say awful food. And then I think I went out to eat for the first time and I, you know, I ate food on a plate instead of a box. And I had the, you know, servers coming over, the wait staff, that little conversation, the buzz of people being in, even if it was outside, but just hearing the different conversations, the, the the fork falling on the floor (laughs) even all of that was was very nostalgic and romantic and so it kind of just sparked something inside of you that you're like oh yeah this is why i do this all of these things all of these and even the fork hitting the ground right (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, a pot hitting the range or you know all of those little things you start noticing again um and it starts to get you going and you get excited and you become happy again and you you start to think of new product, you go to the farmer's market, and then it's just a little domino effect, right? And then mm-hmm. things start to make sense. You start to remember that, ah, yes, I can cook. <laughs> I can mm-hmm. do these things. And you try something, and then you, maybe it's that your, menta- your approach is better. Uh, or, yeah, maybe you're not as sad because it's COVID and you're putting food in boxes. <laughs> and so just that uplift uh, starts to really uh, get you going. But... Yeah, eating other people's food is uh, sometimes some of the most uh, creative ways to get going. Well, I've, I've been seeing what you've been posting on, on social media, and the food looks beautiful. Um, look, looks pretty incredible, everything that you've been putting up. Uh, makes me wish I was there trying it. It looks great. Well, Chef, it's great to see you. Um, I'm excited for all the things that you're doing. Congratulations on all the success in New York. All the food you're doing is fantastic. Where can people follow along and learn more about you and the restaurants that you're overseeing right now? Well, you can come to Shomoko and uh, Greenpoint, Zilonen and Greenpoint as well. Or if you're in Tokyo, there's a Noshomoko Taqueria over there now. Or you can follow me on Pick Pork Swine on Instagram. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a big good name. Pork swine in a vegan <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> pig pork swine, vegan chef. <laughs> Plant sense. forward chef. Sorry. Plant forward chef. Yeah. Let me make sure I get I got it correct. Yeah. No more. Anyway, chef. It was it was good to see you. Congratulations again on all the success, and uh, we'll be well, seeing you soon. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Bye.